we are out here standing up for women's rights because we believe that women's rights are human rights. We stand up for equity and equality in communities of color. We stand up for immigrants, union workers, and we stand for matters concerning environmental justice. We stand against the violence and exploitation of any and every vulnerable and marginalized population. We stand for justice. And when we stand up, we show up and we speak up. Good evening. My name is Reverend Leslie Dwight, and I'm the Minister of Social Justice at Community of Hope AME Church. I bring you greetings on behalf of our pastor, Reverend Tony Lee, and we want to welcome you to this new edition of the Hope Activism Institute's training. Tonight, we want to take a little bit of a different spin, because this begins the first of a two-part series that deals with living legends, because that's exactly who we have in our midst. Tonight, we have with us none other than Bishop Frank Madison Reed III and his lovely wife, Episcopal Supervisor Marla Reed. You don't don't want to miss this conversation because we're going to take a journey with them not to just understand their work in African Methodism but we want to talk about their hand in the social justice movement we're going to talk about how Frank Madison Reed was a part of planning the Million Man March we're going to talk about how Episcopal Supervisor Reed was a part of moving in unorthodox and unconventional spaces to lift up the narrative of the social justice movement of the times how they worked with Jesse Jackson how they worked with Minister Louis Farrakhan to bring transformational change to our communities. Stay right there. You don't want to miss this. So welcome, everyone. We are super excited to have with us tonight Bishop Reed and Episcopal Supervisor Reed. They hail from the third Episcopal district within the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And Bishop Reed is not just heading up the third Episcopal district, but he's also the ecumenical bishop. And tonight, we're going to sit here and we're going to chop it up and talk about social justice. We, we really kind of want to dig in and talk about faith and social justice. Both of these, uh, our guests today, have such great experience doing the work of such social justice, not just historically, but specifically for such a time as this. So Bishop Reed and Episcopal Supervisor Reed, thank you so much for, for coming and joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Leslie. And we please thank the Community of Hope family for us. Absolutely. And so we just want to jump right in. Listen, this by the time this airs, we will be nearing the end of Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And I am of the mindset that we don't just have to study Black history, but that we are Black history. And so mm -hmm. I just want to hear from you. What is one of your favorite Black history moments that you've had the privilege of being a part of in your lifetime? Thank you so very much for the question. We're excited to participate. One of the most exciting Black history moments that I've participated in was in the political campaign to elect Reverend Jesse Jackson. Uh, we were active in the campaign and were actually host uh, to the uh, Los Angeles base and hosted him and uh, remain active to help him to win the president presidency, the presidential election. Wow, that's powerful. That's a powerful piece of history. And we right? really engaged the church as well, uh, church members, uh, as well as uh, helping to elevate and educate people about the importance and the significance of individual participation. Absolutely. And we're going to come back to you in this whole conversation about the organizing work and getting people out to vote. Uh, Bishop, what about you? For me, I'd have to say there were two that I was too young to appreciate and one that majorly shaped my life and ministry. Uh, when I was an infant, 
uh, Paul Robeson came to um, the apartment where my father and mother were living in Chicago and held me. Wow. Uh, then in 1963, my father took me and my oldest sister. I was 12. My sister would have been nine to the March on Washington, but we were too young to appreciate it. Uh, and then finally, uh, the being a part in Los Angeles of Jesse's campaign in 1984 and in Baltimore in 1988. I was the elected delegate to both of those conventions, a Jackson delegate from California. Those really shaped my ministry and really caused me and my wife to really work together from then to the point we are now. Wow, I love that. I love that. So you guys were already married when you guys were working on the um, Jesse Jackson's campaign? Yes. yes. Wonderful. Uh, uh, Jesse's campaign uh, went to the convention in 84 and in 88. Wow. So let's talk about this because I want to talk about your family a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, both of you have long, long roots in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, do you guys want to talk to us a little bit about your families, your, the generations that your family spans across the denomination? Uh, certainly. Um, my father uh, is a minister, the late Reverend E. Woody Hall, and his father, mm -hmm. Frederick Douglass Hall, was an AME pastor, and my grandmother mm -hmm. of sainted memory, uh, Vita Woody Hall, uh, pastor's wife, first lady, my mother, Florence C. Hall was a very active first lady. Uh, and so I watched them growing up. And I think being young, you really don't realize you have a vivid memory as a reflection, but you don't really realize the weight of what's going on. But I do remember when uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. My father being a figure in the community, being called on to quiet uh, the uh, riots the local riots in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. And my mother was uh, an activist in terms of theater and drama. And so she did a lot of education with an annual program that was called An Evening with Florence. And one of the, uh, one of the platforms that she always raised was doing dramatic readings from famous poets and poetess like uh, James Baldwin, Audre Lorde, and she would have an entire evening. People would come from across state lines to watch her uh, in an evening with Florence. And it was quite a fundraiser. Uh, it provided an, a stream of, uh, a financial stream for the church as well. And so, uh, you know, when you're in the church or you learn how to fundraise in different ways. And we've known for a long time the importance of having multiple streams of income. Yeah. So watching them as a, a, a child uh, become as social activists and social enthusiasts as well and cultural enthusiasts. You know, thank you for sharing that because as, as, as you shared that, I was thinking about my own journey um, in the in the AME church. And you know, I realized what I didn't learn in school about culture, um, about our culture, I learned in the black church. Um, so, so thank you for sharing that. Bishop, 
Well, talk to us about your your roots in the AME Church, your family roots. Sure, I, I'd like to just piggyback on what my wife, uh, one of the things my wife shared about her family, and that is her aunt, Queen mm -hmm. Esther yes. uh, Hall. Queen Esther Brown. Brown, Brown, who lived in New York, was a tremendous, had a tremendous operatic voice. But most of all, before we knew about Afrocentricity, yes. she and Marla's mother would travel around and to different church conferences selling kente cloth, authentic kente cloth, Absolutely. back in the 60s and early 70s before folk really knew what it was. And to your point about your journey, it is what it was. It, signifies the importance of HBCUs because both her father, her mother, Absolutely. my father graduated from Wilberforce University. University. Okay. And Wilberforce and the AME Church as a whole, we didn't just do church. We had cultural sessions. We had what they called in the early 20th century lyceums where there would be book clubs where there would be authors like uh, W.E.B. Du Bois who would come and make presentations. At Bethel, uh, one of my members when we left from LA gave me a flyer of Marcus Garvey speaking at Bethel in Baltimore. And so these are things that black churches did. Now, I'm a fifth generation AME uh, preacher, a third generation AME bishop, and my daughters uh, sixth generation AME preachers. And so because of these black church connections that my wife and I grew up with, notice I didn't say just AME connections, but because of the black church connections that we had, we met people, uh, we met great influences. Like uh, when I was about 10, uh, eight or nine, Dr. King came to speak at a white Baptist church across from the old Fox Theater. And my father was out of town, but his secretary took me because King and my, my father went to the March on Selma, went to most of King's major marches and was supportive. It was because my father and Bishop Brookins worked with uh, 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 Dr. Jackson when he had breadbasket and later in push that there was that relationship. So when Jesse uh, came to Yale, all right, hey, it was like we knew each other. And so these connections were not only with people, it became a historic connection with uh, 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 the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement that started when the first enslaved Black men and Black, black men and women came to this shore. And so because, and I'll stop here, Bishop, Bryant, uh, Bishop Bryant's D-Men dissertation was entitled The Black Church as the Hub of the Black Community. Mm -hmm. And at our best, that's what a community of hope is doing. That's what the Hope uh, Activist Institute is doing. That's what your social justice arm is doing. And so we're just passing the baton from one generation to the next, as it was passed from Richard Allen to Daniel Payne to Henry McNeil Turner, and now to the community of hope and a new generation of 
Christian, those who are unashamedly black and unapologetically Christian. Wow. Bishop, that was heavy. You, 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 you gave us a charge to be able to run with that, but to be able to run with the weight of that you guys have already carried down through the generation. Man, I don't, I don't know about that, but let's, let's go back to before your preaching years. Can we go back to when you, um, you were the founder of the Black Student Union at Yale? I was, I was the, the initial head of the African, uh, Afro-American Cultural Center. Okay. I was not there when they organized what we call the BSAY, the Black Student Alliance at Yale, but I was the moderator for a year and a half. The moderator was the president. And I was there at a program called the Yale Transitional Year Program before I got there for four years. And that was the year that the Black Panther trial was going on in New Haven. So one of the reasons I decided to stay at Yale as an undergraduate and not go to Harvard or Amherst or Williams where I got in was because of the political nature of Yale and its students. And so people like, these names won't mean much to many folk, Glenn DeShabert, uh, Armstead Robinson. These were some of the initial founders of the um, BSAY and they took me in and took me under their wing and trained me in leadership. And I always, I will always owe them for that. So talk to us a little bit about um, why you did that. I mean, you talked about some of the larger context that was going on in you know, the world at that time, but specifically you're on a predominantly white Ivy League campus. What was the impetus for you to kind of even get involved in that work and how did you do it? One of, one of the things that uh, we learned while a, a diverse multicultural group was in the Yale Transitional Program. While we were there that year, what I saw was a cohesive Black community, African-American community of students who were serious about being students, but were serious about pursuing the empowerment of the Black community. So at the African-American Cultural Center, we had a UIC where we tutored inner city children, mm -hmm. where black students at Yale wow. tutored uh, these students. We had not just parties at the house, we called it the house, but we had political forums and we met with the president, we met with the provost, we met with the dean, and we had the strongest black studies program at, of all, at all, at, at that time, Skip Gates, who is now at Harvard, is a undergraduate of Yale, and it was because of what he learned there at Yale, combined with his own skills, that now uh, the Du Bois Institute is the top in African American studies. And so, African American, in closing, there was no division between politics, economics and the empowerment of our people. Mm -hmm. There was no class separation. As you saw in school days, you're too young to remember school days. No, I'm not. 
the black community looked down at the black students. In New Haven, the black students at Yale and the black community had, in Dixwell had great relationships. And so it helped me because I didn't go to Yale to be a preacher. I want to be a lawyer. Wow. And so what I love about that is that it just wasn't about, you know, organizing your people for the political piece, but there was a service driven piece. And it was a service driven piece that kind of reached back to the to the generation that was coming behind you. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that and that actually kind of spills over into what I think um, became a, a significant cornerstone of how you did ministry. My pastor today was telling me about a time where you had called him to preach at um, your church. And I think that there was a, a shooting that happened in the neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. And he was coming to preach a revival, but before you did the revival, you had called for the prayer vigil. Mm -hmm. And he talked to me about this time where you guys are kind of walking through the community, you're doing the community walk to the prayer vigil. And as you're going down the street, um, people see you coming down the street and their children yelling out to their parents that you're walking down the street. Mm -hmm. And he talks to me about how you go up to the house and how you're reaching out to the children and you, you're connected to the family. You, the people knew you. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, and, and so he said, you know, that it was almost like the community walk was a precursor to the revival that night. Uh -huh. um, and so it's just funny how, you know, that experience, your, that pastoral experience really, um, it mirrors the work that you were doing as a student before you were even, you know, assigned to, to that work in Baltimore. So that's a great, great story. Um, Episcopal Supervisor Reed. too, yeah. Yes, yes. So Episcopal Supervisor Reed, I was doing my research and I, I understand that, you know, I'm in, I'm in good company tonight because you are um, the communication guru. <laughs> and so I want to take you back to the time where you were serving as first lady of Bethel AME Church. Mm -hmm. And when you guys were at Bethel, um, there was a media, um, I'm just going to say, well, there were, you guys had a media presence, both in radio and television. Um, it was the, what, Love Outreach? Outreach of Love. Outreach of Love. And, um, and that became a platform that elevated the issues of the African-American community. So will you talk to us a little bit about what went into that communication strategy? Because here's what I will tell you, that I was a little girl watching you guys on TV, on cable TV, <laughs> uh, when I came home. And there were not very many uh, African-American uh, churches that were in that were operating in that space at that time. You're right. So, so what was that strategy and what kind of doors did that open? Well, th thank you so much for uh, elevating that period of our history and, and outreach. The broadcast was called the Outreach of Love Broadcast. And we transitioned from broadcasting locally to, I believe, one of the media execs at BET uh, saw a message and reached out to uh, the stewards and trustees at Bethel at that time, and the door opened for us to go on. But when we went on, we were on at 7.30 a.m. in the morning, but it was following a really um, adult content uh, a time time period that we were on and everybody was just really up in arms that we would be 
in the middle of that time slot where the programming was totally different than what we were offering. But what happened is that it really broadened the audience. Um, not only it, it, it broadened the local congregational, uh, the local congregation to become regional, uh, national, as well as international. Uh, and so uh, I think that because of the, the presence of God in uh, Bishop Reed's preaching and teaching, it so strikes an authentic chord and it is so transparent. And I always say he speaks the language of the people that we had people who were reaching out from other states, other churches, other denominations, because not only because of his preaching and teaching, but because we were talking about, he was preaching about uh, the word of God and how to practically apply the word of God in your everyday life. And one thing I will say about his training and both of our background, but particularly because of African Methodism is AMEs, resistance, revival, and restoration. It's in our DNA. If AMEs are showing up, we're not going to sit down. We're not going to shut up. We're not going to go along to get along. If we show up, you can, you can rest assured we're going to speak up. And so I think that the, I know that the outreach of love struck a chord uh, and the truth, the word of God that was resonating at that time addressed the issues of uh, health disparity, economic disparity, uh, personal practice, white privilege, um, and so a number of platforms, a number of issues uh, that we talked about, or that he preached about, we tried to present it in a way that was uh, in vogue for that particular uh, platform. And because we were on BET, the Lord opened up doors for us to be on an international network, as well as the Armed Forces Network. Wow. And so what we saw is a number of um, persons who were listed in the military, armed forces, uh, Navy, Air Force, coming to the church and people who were in prison. Then that's the one we yeah. saw a lot of people who were pre who were incarcerated, who after they got out would come because for so somehow or another, they were seeing they were watching the broadcast in prison. Wow. And so we would get phone calls, and then people, when they were released, would come to the church uh, and ultimately join the ministry, but also receive the benefits of the other arms of ministry that we had, social, uh, social outreach, as well as uh, we had a, a ministry called Freedom Now, which was to speak to uh, life after uh, drug addiction. And because of the um, media on the outreach of love on and because of the broad outreach it gave us uh, there was a series HBO series called The Wire and those were real live people and real live stories and most of them belonged or joined Bethel. Wow. Uh, Brother Blue who is dead now, his wife, mm -hmm. uh, a number of the persons who were in the corner and because of the corner hookup and because of our social action on, we were actually on. There was a character called Reverend Frank Reed in The Wire. 
<laughs> and one of the wire segments has me preaching in the choir, singing in it. And so this is all related to the media. One final thing on the media piece, what happened was that Bishop Bryant started the program when he was pastor of Bethel locally. And when we started, we, when we came, we asked BET what we would have to do to come on. They had taken all religious broadcasting off. Mm -hmm. A call that my wife remembers had stated came after they decided to come bring, put their religious broadcasting back on and the rest of it is history. And the final portion of that story for me is that when we would travel overseas, when I would go to Korea, I'd be walking around in the areas where the service men and women were, and they would say, we see you on Sunday, are you Dr. Reed? And so the importance of before COVID, of doing online ministry, my wife pioneered for the generation of the 90s at Bethel, and I'm so proud of her and what God is doing in and through her. That is an amazing story. I will say, Reverend Leslie, that I think that in ministry, uh, it's, it's important to be ready to pivot and to go with, be ready to pivot as well as pioneer what's going on at the time. And little did we understand or know, even at that time, that we were laying groundwork for where we are today. Mm -hmm. um, you asked me about the doors that opened, the acumen that you received, just being on radio and television and coordinating the both avenues and both platforms opens up a number of doors because it was, it was not only the broadcast, then it be the television broadcast, then it became the radio broadcast. And then it became magazine. And then it became, Bishop Reed, I think he's probably fairly modest with it. He was the first one who was on, in the family at least, and really in the congregation who was on Twitter and Facebook. And you know, I would look and kind of go, oh, what is that? What are you doing that for? What? I got that from your pastor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So well, wait, are you guys on Clubhouse yet? Not no. yet. Not, not yet. Oh, Clubhouse. <laughs> yes. Yes. Michael, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, just being prepared to do that. My training is in, in uh, communications, electronic communications, radio and television. And so being in ministry, the, the Lord opened up the door for me to uh, work in that area and be creative. Uh, with that. And she, she married a great husband. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are a dynamic partner. And I married a great wife. <laughs> she findeth the wife findeth a, a good thing. thing. <laughs> Wasn't that a great conversation? I started off this segment telling you that we were in the presence of living legends and we couldn't get it all in tonight. So you have to join us here next Thursday at 7 p.m. as we continue the conversation. I mean, don't you want to know how Bishop Frank Reed influenced the development of the iconic historic television show, Amen? I know I do. So see you next week. Peace. <laughs>